Hi, this is Dr. Tina Webb, and you are listening to the Coping Season Podcast, the show that discusses mental and emotional wellness to help black men and black women begin to heal and cope with the effects of emotional distress. Although I am a licensed clinical social worker, please note that this podcast is not meant to be used as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist. Get ready to laugh, think, and be entertained. It's time to cope. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Wednesday. I'm so glad to be here with you today. And we've got a lot to talk about. So let's just jump right into it. Are y'all familiar with the rapper that goes by the name Baby? He's kind of new. He came out like a couple years ago and he's had a few hits. But one that's on the radio right now is he sings that song and it's like, Brand new Lamborghini of a cop car, pistol on my hip like I'm a cop. Have you ever met a real rock star? This ain't no guitar, this a clock. Do y'all know that song? Well, Baby sings that song. And last week, his older brother, Glenn Johnson, who was 34 years old, He died by suicide. He posted a video of himself on Instagram. He was upset. He was crying and he was holding a gun. In the video, you could tell that he was under distress. He was talking about how he had been wronged a lot in the past. And then not long after posting the video, that's when he reportedly shot himself in the head. And this happened in Charlotte, North Carolina. Somebody called the police and they reported an assault with a deadly weapon. And then the police arrived when they got to the location. They found him fatally injured. He was taken to a local hospital where he was declared dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to his head. The case is currently still being classified as a death investigation and they don't know if any foul play was involved but it is believed to be a suicide now the baby who is 28 years old he suffered a great deal of loss and trauma in the last couple years since he's become famous i don't know if you all know this but in 2018 the baby He shot and killed a 19-year-old man at Walmart in North Carolina. He said that it was self-defense. He said that the guy was trying to rob him. And the baby was at Walmart at the time with his baby mama and his two kids. And he felt like his kids were in danger and his family was in danger. So he shot the man in the stomach. And then, you know, the charges were dropped later and he did get off with self-defense. But he did kill a man in self-defense and then also in 2018 the same day and time that he found out that his album went number one he also found out that his father died suddenly now no one has come out and said what the exact cause of death was of his father but the baby has shared that his father wasn't sick he wasn't sick or anything it was totally unexpected so hopefully I'm thinking hopefully it was not a suicide. But like I said, no one has come out to say how his father died. And also during that time, he shared that he didn't have time to grieve. The next day after finding out that his father passed away, he had to get on a tour bus and start touring. So he left the tour. He went on tour and he ended up having to leave the tour for one day and go bury his father. And then that same night after seeing his father's body at the mortuary, he flew back to the tour and he was on stage performing that same night. He said he had to process it all on the go. And then after that, he ended up having a few different assaults and violent situations happen, you know, fighting other people. He even had a concert where he jumped into the audience and then it caused all kind of confusion and commotion. And the baby ended up punching a female fan in her face hard. He said that he didn't know what was going on, that he was getting hit and that he was just out there swinging. So a lot has just been going on in his world over the last two years. 
Now, on his second album, he talked about his family a lot. So after his brother died by suicide, the baby posted lyrics from a song that he wrote in which he mentioned his brother. In his Instagram story, he shared the lyrics that say, My brother be thinking that we don't love him and let him struggle like we ain't family. Like I won't give up all I got to see you happy. And then he captioned the story and he put, I would have gave up all I had to see you happy. And then he wrote, long live my brother. And he put a black heart with a dove. And since then, baby has deactivated his Instagram account. But on today's segment of Ask Dr. Tina, I want to read a quote from baby's brother, Glenn Johnson, and a quote from baby regarding the suicide. In a tearful Instagram live video just before taking his life, Glenn Johnson stated, and I quote, You know what? 95 out of 5% of y'all MFs think I'm BSing. I really don't give a F. I don't. It's not going to hurt me to die. It's not going to hurt me to live, but I'm tired of living. I'm tired of submitting myself to the cause of F and human rights that don't mean S to me. I'm tired. I'm done with this S. So let my life be an MF and example for you Fs. You Fs that got there just because you famous. Man, you know what? Do what you do. You see that? I'm at peace. So you MFs be at peace and F you. And that's what Glenn Johnson had to say. Now, in another Instagram video, baby stated, and I quote, check on your people. Somebody probably just wants you to call and say, what's up, bruh? You straight? Do that. Check on your people for me. He also wrote a post on Twitter in which he said, and I quote, death don't faze me at all. Watching my family suffer does. God, watch over my family, my mama, my nieces and nephew and they mama and my brother. Don't worry about me. Take whatever you was going to do for me and pour it into them and keep me cool because God, you know, the world don't. Amen. He then went on to post another message in which he stated, hashtag mental health awareness. If you can't get over depression, get help. You see a loved one struggling, get them help. They refuse the help, make them get treated anyway. You suffer from PTSD, take that as serious and get help. I'm about to go get a therapist my damn self. Hashtag long live G. And that's what baby had to say. You know, this is just a very tragic situation. And then with the holidays coming up, his family is up for a very difficult road ahead. And I just ask that we keep them in our prayers. You know, oftentimes in the black community, we become so used to just struggling through life and we deal with so many challenges on our own that it makes it foreign to us to reach out and ask for help. Sometimes, you know, it's hard for us to recognize that we need professional help from a physician or a therapist. There's a lot of stigma around mental health in the black community, whether it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar disorder, you know, or or suicide. There is a longstanding belief in our community that these concerns are taboo. We're not supposed to talk about it. We hide it and we're killing ourselves because of it. There is a myth in the black community that suicide is a white thing. Black people don't kill themselves. We struggle all the time and we've been through so much without killing ourselves. And that's why we oftentimes find it hard to believe. Like recently, when we heard stories about young black people hanging or dying from a gunshot, we feel like somebody else hung them. They were lynched by someone else. They were shot by someone else. They didn't overdose on drugs and kill themselves. Somebody else must have did it. Someone else killed them. Someone else poisoned them. Now, don't get me wrong. 
Historically, we have been dehumanized. We've been oppressed. There has been violence perpetrated against us because of the color of our skin that still carries over to today in the form of present day racism. We see it in structural, institutional and individual racism. So, of course, it makes us mistrustful when we hear that someone was found hung, shot, poison and no one was around no perpetrators found given our history in this country we have to question things like this when it happens like in the case of Sandra Bland but in many cases it is a suicide and yet we refuse to talk about it we refuse to acknowledge that suicide is an issue in the black community you know we've all heard it before we've heard people in our family make statements our friends sometimes we may have said things we've heard it in movies and you hear people say you know suicide we don't do that no matter how hard life is we love life too much to kill ourselves suicide that's a sin black people not trying to go to hell that's why we don't kill ourselves or you've heard somebody say that that's that white people stuff or black men are too strong to take their own lives black women are too resilient we don't crack under pressure but i want you all to hear me today when i tell you it is a myth that black people do not die by suicide a myth that prevents people from getting treatment it is a myth that makes it difficult for us to prevent suicide the truth is Black people die by suicide, especially black youth. Black youth suicides are rising. It's occurring at shocking rates and it's being ignored. We're not talking about it. Our babies are killing themselves. They're thinking about killing themselves and we don't even know it. They are less likely than any other youth to disclose thoughts of suicide. They're not going to tell anybody that this is what they're thinking. And stigma about mental illness, about mental suffering in the black community keeps people from getting the help that they need. The fear of being labeled, the fear of being outcasted, of being ignored of being talked about, of being judged. It keeps black people from sharing their thoughts. We feel shame. So many lives have been lost. So many lives that could have been saved if we just normalize getting the help. If we stop being afraid to talk about suicide, stop being afraid to talk about mental health. Talking about suicide isn't going to put the thought in their head. That's not going to make them do it. We have to talk about these myths and these inaccuracies that have been floating around our community for too long, especially now more than ever, because black people are already dealing with mental health issues and we're not getting help. And then that compounded with this pandemic, with racism and injustices, racial trauma inflicted by repeated police killings of black people, unemployment, isolation. People are sick with health issues. They can't pay their rent. They can't pay their bills. They're having relationship problems. People are stressed out. They're depressed. They're nervous. They're worried. And some of them don't want to be here anymore. They are thinking about killing themselves. They're holding it all inside and thinking about killing themselves. So on today's episode, I want to take a deeper dive into suicide in the black community. I want you to know that suicide is a major public health concern. It is one of the leading causes of death in the United States. And in the black community, suicide is on the rise. Unfortunately, in our society, suicide is like often painted like it's a permanent situation. The person is branded as suicidal. We got to watch them because 20 years ago, they tried to kill themselves. But I want you to know that that's not true. Having suicidal thoughts is not a brand. It's not a label. It is a sign. 
It is a signal that someone is suffering and they need help. People think about killing themselves all the time, and that doesn't mean that they're going to act on it. People think about giving up sometimes. People say things like, I'm tired. I don't know how much longer I can go on. Sometimes I wonder if life is worth living. That's called suicidal ideation. They're thinking about suicide. They are considering it. They might be planning suicide. And then a suicide attempt, that's when someone did something dangerous or injurious and their intent was to die, but they didn't. And then suicide is when someone did something dangerous or injurious and their intent was to kill themselves. Their intent was to die from it. And suicide doesn't have to have like one single cause. Many things can be going on that can lead a person to want to kill themselves. But we also have to acknowledge the fact that mental illness is a factor in most suicides. And there is a powerful stigma attached to mental illness in the black community. It's important to know that when someone dies by suicide, so many other people are affected. The grief process is complicated. It's complex. It's traumatic. People dealing with this kind of loss need a lot of support. But in the black community, we may not get the support that we need because of stigma. We might be less likely to tell someone that the person died by suicide. Oftentimes, we don't share that the death was self-inflicted. And when other people don't know the circumstances of how somebody died, that might make it difficult for them to offer help. They don't know what kind of help and what kind of support that you need. There are also many religions that condemn suicide as a sin. And that factors into also why somebody might not want to disclose the cause of death. So our faith communities, they have work to do in this area because whether it's a sin or not, Suicide is still happening. So telling people that they shouldn't think or talk about suicide is only making the problem worse. It's only making people keep their mental struggles to themselves even more. And then after a suicide, families are often conflicted. They have different views about how to discuss the death outside of the family. They're often in this position of having to decide whether to keep the suicide a secret. Are they going to keep it a secret from outsiders, from the children, from certain relatives? And when that happens, it leads to isolation, confusion. It leads to shame that can last for years or even generations. And that's why in some families, you might say like, oh, well, there was a rumor that they killed themselves, but I don't know. Or I heard or they say, and you really don't know the facts of it because it's something that's often hidden in black families. You don't know if the person died by suicide, but you heard or you think. And that's just because there's a lot of stigma attached to it. There's a lot of shame that's attached to it that gets passed down from generation to generation. And in most black families, there are a lot of secrets. We hold a lot of secrets and there's reasons why we do that. And I'll talk about that in another episode. But we are very secretive people and it causes a lot of damage. You know, something else that happens after a suicide is that a lot of relatives will start to blame each other. They start to blame one another and they start to think like, you know, about certain actions or certain things that somebody said to the person who died or their failure to act in a certain way contributed to the person killing themselves. And when that happens, it makes it very difficult for the family to provide support to each other. When someone that we love dies, it's never easy. We are going to grieve. We're going to feel hurt. We're going to feel pain. But with suicide, the grieving is more difficult. It's different because the death is sudden. It's unexpected. And sometimes it's violent. 
And family members are subjected to so many things because not only are they grieving, sometimes they have to deal with the police. They got to talk to the media. Sometimes they might have to visit the scene where the person died or they may have found the body. And all of that adds to the trauma. Oftentimes they keep thinking about their loved one's death. They might be replaying the circumstances of the death over and over in their head. They're thinking about the loved one's final moments over and over. They're trying to find some kind of understanding of why they did this. And they might be replaying also the last time that they saw their loved one, what they said to them, what their loved one said back to them. They're trying to understand. And oftentimes, family and friends, they develop PTSD. They develop depression and anxiety if they don't get help. There are just so many mixed emotions that people feel after a loved one dies by suicide. Like when somebody is murdered, as in a homicide, family and friends, they're angry, but they're angry at the perpetrator. They can point that anger to the person who killed their loved one. But in suicides, the victim is the perpetrator. They killed themselves. And that causes so many mixed emotions, so many different emotions that family members feel. It can be very complex, very difficult because the person who died by suicide, they may have been a victim of their own circumstance. They couldn't see another way out. Maybe they were struggling with mental illness, but sometimes family and friends, they're in so much pain. They're so confused that they take the suicide as if as if it was like an assault against them. They take it as a rejection that that person couldn't bear to be here on this earth with them anymore. They weren't enough for them to make them want to stay. So the feelings of anger, rejection and abandonment can be very intense and it's very hard to understand after a suicide. People struggle because they need a reason. Why? Why did they do this? People start torturing themselves with the what if questions. What if I called them more? What if I made them go to the doctor? What if I asked if I could come over? These questions end up punishing family members. They punish themselves for not being able to predict or to know that the person was going to kill themselves. And they condemn themselves from not stopping it from happening, for not intervening in some way. And most times these thoughts are unrealistic. They may not have contributed to their loved one's suicide. It's very common that people will overestimate their ability to have changed what happened. You know, sometimes people who are terminally ill, they have cancer or they have a debilitating disease. They might kill themselves. They die by suicide. And people find it easier sometimes to understand suicide in that context because the person was suffering. They physically saw them suffering. They saw them sick. But that's the issue with mental illness as well. They're sick. They're suffering but it's internal. It's hidden. It's not seen. There is no blood test to tell us if a person is depressed or if a person has PTSD. So when someone dies by suicide and they weren't physically or visibly sick, it can be very hard to understand. Oftentimes, family and friends, they'll try to find out as much as they can about the person's life, who they interacted with, what they were doing, any circumstances, any factors that led up to the suicide to try to help them to gain some kind of understanding. This is another reason why when somebody dies by suicide in the black community, we contribute their death sometimes to other reasons. We have to find meaning. There has to be an explanation into what happened, because oftentimes being black in America, 
That means that many of us are going to die early anyway. So it makes it hard for us to imagine killing ourselves. We feel like if we could survive slavery, if we could survive racial discrimination and oppression, then we can be resilient enough to survive sadness, mental health issues and suicide. Being black, we're conditioned to expect that life is going to disappoint us. We expect for the system to fail us. We keep going, though, despite all of that. This is our story. That's the story of the black community. It's a story of perseverance, a story of resilience. We're survivors. And because of this story and stigma, we often see people who are struggling. We see them as weak in some way. A lot of black people are in denial about suicide. They will say that the person needs to pray or that they've been doing something bad in their life and they're being punished and they need to repent. And that's why they're having these thoughts about killing themselves. It's nothing but the devil. We see them as being spiritually weak. They're morally weak in some way. And this is problematic because we often fail to recognize that we are all humans. Mental illness is more than just feeling down. It's more than just sadness, more than just feeling anxious. It doesn't discriminate. It can happen to any of us. Mental illness is an illness, just like cancer, just like diabetes, like high blood pressure. None of those have to do with spiritual or moral weakness. And it's the same thing with mental illness and suicide. Something else that I want to touch on briefly is that you guys might notice that I keep on saying the person died by suicide as opposed to saying the person committed suicide. And I just want to update all of our vocabulary because words matter when it comes down to mental health. The term committed suicide and you still hear people saying it today. They committed suicide. That term is outdated. It's insensitive and it carries a lot of stigma with it because there was a time when suicide was considered a crime. That's where the term committed came from. It was illegal to kill yourself and committing suicide was considered the same as committing murder, committing rape. In some places, when people took their own life, they couldn't have a funeral. They were refused a funeral and then their possessions they would be confiscated family and friends would be scrutinized so when we say someone committed suicide it suggests that there's a criminal intent they did something criminal or committed suicide they committed a sin it adds to mental health stigma because the phrase committed suicide it ignores the fact that suicide is often the result of a mental health issue an unaddressed mental health issue like depression trauma or some other mental health issue the person lost their life because they were suffering from a disorder from a disease they were ill they were sick they died because of their mental state you know when someone is in the moment and they're thinking about killing themselves and they're planning and all of those things because of their mental state they will think something irrational like suicide is rational it'll be clear to them they really think that it's a logical solution to their problems so when we attach the word committed suicide it criminalizes them it can really isolate somebody who's having a hard time who's struggling it's not fair because they're ill. We don't say that a person committed a heart attack. We don't say they committed diabetes. We say they died from a heart attack. They died from diabetes. Suicide is the same thing. People don't commit suicide. They die from it. They die by suicide. And that's why I keep saying die by suicide. You know, for a long time, it was unusual to hear about a black person dying by suicide. Generation after generation, we've contributed to the narrative that suicide is a white phenomenon. 
it's something that white people do. Black people don't kill themselves. But if we look at history during the time of slavery, people were dying by suicide. There are narratives from the enslaved. There's also interviews from former enslaved people that date back to the 1930s. And they describe stories of enslaved people dying by suicide. In one account, there was this young girl and she was in Alabama. She outran the patrollers and they chased her and they wanted to make an example out of her when they caught her. So they chased her and she ran into a cabin and she hid. Now she had a quarter and you got to look at back then in slavery slaves were not able to handle money they didn't have money so I'm not sure how she got this quarter or where she got it from but she had it and she had been hiding it so she got the quarter and she swallowed it and then it got stuck in her throat and she went down to the slaw and she drowned herself rather than let them beat her there's another account of an enslaved woman in Arkansas. She hung herself on a blackjack tree on the other side of the pool. Now, the other side of the pool, the pool was for ducks and for stocks to eat out of. But she said that she would kill herself before she would be whooped. So she took a rope. She tied it to a limb. She tied it around her neck and she jumped. In Texas, an enslaved man, he told the story of his mother drowning herself when he was a little boy. He said that she drowned herself because she started to lose her mind and she preferred death to that. And there are many accounts of suicide during slavery. People slitting their throats with knives, hanging themselves, drowning themselves, throwing themselves from high places like cliffs, poisoning themselves, jumping into a sugar mill, jumping into a red hot furnace. They put an end to their lives. And for some people, death was the only emancipation that they could hope for. Many of the enslaved chose death rather than continue life as a slave. Suicide was seen as freedom. And in an 1828 poem called Slavery, it was said that the grave was the only refuge for a slave. You know, the enslaved suffered. We all know that. And in some cases, their response to suffering was suicide. And although the rate of suicide was low, people did die by suicide back then. But for the most part, the enslaved didn't kill themselves. They chose to deal with their sufferings in many other ways. They would resist. They would comply. They would look inside themselves and get strength through spirituality. They would focus on God. When enslaved people died by suicide, it was normally because they'd rather die than to be a slave or they died by suicide to escape punishment. Now, during the slave trade, people would jump overboard. They would jump overboard off the boats and they would drown. Thousands attempted to die by suicide during the transatlantic slave trade. Enslaved men and women, they killed themselves for many reasons. Sometimes they couldn't cope with the long journey. It was traumatic. We all know the horrific things that were happening on the boats. You know, they were chained to other bodies that were dead. The smells, you know, they're sitting in their own urine and feces. They were subjected to beatings. They were getting murdered. They were getting raped. Many of the African people also believed that if they died, then their death would take them back to their home in Africa. So dying by suicide was also an act of rebellion. And the slave traders were anxious about this. So they tried to prevent the enslaved from killing themselves because each person that managed to take their own life, that reduced the profit that they would make. So oftentimes the enslaved men and women would try to starve themselves to death. They would refuse to eat or they would hold food in their mouth and they would spit it out when no one was looking. And that often led them to being beaten. It, me it led them to being force fed as a punishment. There are descriptions of the enslaved jumping into the sea together, holding hands, embracing and hugging each other until their death. 
And keep in mind, jumping from the ships wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy thing to do because the slave ships had netting to stop people from jumping overboard. And oftentimes when somebody was able to make it into the sea, the crew might send out a boat to go get them. Something else that would happen is that sometimes the enslaved aboard some of the ships, they were able to get a hold of knives. They were able to get their hands on swords, guns, gunpowder. And for whatever reason, when they weren't able to fight back or turn the weapons on their captors, they would sometimes use them to die by suicide. There are even documented cases of the enslaved blowing themselves up and their captors in a mass suicide. Now, in order to deter the enslaved from dying by suicide, they would do horrific things. There is an account of a slave trader putting the head of a dead slave who died by suicide. He put his head on a pole and he had the other slaves walk around it to persuade them and to let them know that after they die, they're not going to return to their country. Slave traders would mutilate corpses of the enslaved. They would mutilate their bodies to convince the slaves that your body isn't going to be any good if he goes back to Africa after death. I'm destroying your body so horribly that you're not going to be able to use your body if you come back in the afterlife. It was barbaric. It was horrific. So as you can see, human suffering and suicide in the black community has always existed. Many people who struggle with suicidal thoughts feel like they're all alone. But it's more common than more people are aware of. And suicide isn't a new problem. It's been an issue since biblical times. The Bible talks about suicide a lot. There are several examples of people who took their life, people who hung themselves, poisoned themselves, all kinds of things. Jesus was tested and tempted by Satan and told to throw himself down from the top of a temple. But there are also many reminders of hope throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures. And that's what keeps many black people from taking their own lives. But for many people who are suffering mentally and emotionally, it's not that easy. They need more support. They need professional help. It's important to know that suicide affects all people. Close to 800,000 people in the world die every year due to suicide. That's equal to one person every 40 seconds. Over the course of you listening to this podcast today, many people have died by suicide and there are many more attempting as we speak. They estimate that for every one person who dies by suicide, over 20 more are attempting. Now, overall, it's important to know that black people are less likely than white people to die from suicide. However, black teenagers are more likely to attempt suicide than white teenagers. Studies have shown that the suicide rate among black youth is increasing faster than any other ethnic group. Black children under the age of 13 are taking their own lives at twice the rate of white children. It's concerning the rise in black young people trying to take their own lives. It's alarming. They're having suicidal thoughts. They're planning it out. They're attempting it. Now, for black females, the rate of suicide is low. It's the lowest among men and women of all ethnicities. Black women are less likely to die by suicide, but black women are more likely to attempt it. Black men are more likely to die from suicide than black women. Black men will complete suicide and black women will attempt it. They're just less likely to complete it. And guns, firearms is the number one method of suicide among black people. A gun is used in 50% of all suicides. Suffocation is the second most prevalent method. You know, there are just so many myths about mental health and about suicide. 
that we have to discuss. Because of those myths, it keeps people from getting the help that they need. People are struggling and they won't get treatment. They won't get their mental health struggles addressed because of all these different myths and these falsehoods that are out there. So I'm going to read a statement. And what I want you to do is just say it out loud or say it in your head. Is it a myth or a fact? So the first one is suicide only affects people who have a mental health condition. Is that a myth or is that a fact? That is a myth. There are many reasons why people die by suicide. There are people who have mental illness and they don't have any suicidal thoughts. They've never attempted suicide. And then there are other people on the flip side that they don't have a mental illness, but they've attempted suicide. They have died by suicide. Sometimes people are having relationship problems or they're having some kind of other life stressor, like they're having a criminal issue or a legal issue. They might be homeless or they're losing their home or they're getting evicted. Someone in their family has died or someone that they loved or they might be going through some kind of devastating or debilitating illness. They might experience trauma or sexual abuse. They've been rejected. Maybe they've attempted suicide before. Like I mentioned earlier, there is not one single cause of why someone will attempt or die by suicide. Y'all ready for another one? Okay, here it is. Once a person is suicidal, they will always be suicidal. Is that a myth or is that a fact? That is a myth, y'all. Most of the time when people are actively suicidal, it's because they're in deep pain. They have these deep, painful emotions and thoughts, and that's what they're experiencing. But once those thoughts go away, so if they're in a certain situation and they're able to get like, say they have a mental illness and they're able to get treatment that can help to reduce the symptoms or say something changes in their life and they're able to get a job or something comes through, something happens. They get some sense of hope then those thoughts will go away. And so will the suicidal ideation. Sometimes suicidal ideation is short term. It just depends on the situation. And then even though suicidal thoughts can come back, they're not permanent. The person with suicidal thoughts, they can live a long and successful life. All right, y'all. Is this a myth or is this a fact? Most suicides happen suddenly without warning. Myth or fact? That is a myth. Most of the time, before somebody dies by suicide or before they attempt suicide, there are warning signs. There are things that they have said or that they are doing that are warning signs. And it's important to learn and understand the warning signs so that you can be able to recognize them and take action. Because sometimes people who are suicidal, they might only show the warning signs to the people that are close to them. Sometimes loved ones don't recognize what's going on because they don't know the warning signs. And so when their loved one dies by suicide, it seems like it's sudden. It seems like there was no warning, but most times there is a warning. They just didn't recognize it. Some warning signs to look out for, and some might be more obvious than others, and some are subtle. But if someone is talking about wanting to die or wanting to kill themselves, that is a red flag. If they're looking for a way to kill themselves, if they're talking about how they feel hopeless, they don't have a purpose. Anytime you hear someone use the word hopeless or they indicate to you in some way that they're feeling hopeless, they don't feel a purpose, they don't see a future, your antennas should be going up. If they're talking about how they feel trapped or they're just in so much pain and it's unbearable, then look out for that. If they're talking about, you know, I feel like I'm a burden to you, I'm a burden to everybody, then you want to take that serious. Also, if you notice that they've been drinking more or they've been using drugs more than normal, 
Pay attention to that. If you notice they're acting anxious, they're agitated all the time. They're just doing like reckless behavior, driving fast. They're doing drugs. They're doing things that are reckless. And you're like, wait a minute, you need to slow down. They're getting into fights with people all the time. Maybe they're not sleeping or they are sleeping and they're sleeping too much. Watch out for those things. If they're being isolated and they used to hang out with friends and they used to be very active or even just if they're isolated in the house, everybody else is watching TV, but they're locked up in the room all the time. They're withdrawing. Pay attention to that. If you notice that they're showing rage and they're just having these anger outbursts or they're talking about they want to get revenge on somebody, they're seeking revenge and they have all this rage and anger inside of them. Pay attention to that. They might be having mood swings. If they've had family members or friends die by suicide in the past or recently somebody's died by suicide, a friend or a family member or somebody close to them has died, you know, just in other ways. It doesn't have to be suicide, but if they've experienced a recent loss, then you want to pay attention to that. If they've had previous suicide attempts, then that is a huge warning sign. Also, too, sometimes people like get preoccupied with death. They're watching all these movies about death. They're talking about it. They're researching different things. They're getting deep into this dark side and they're just very preoccupied with just different themes of death. Then you want to pay attention to that. If they have a history of depression or they seem depressed or they're having problems with just like substance abuse and they're using drugs, like I said, and drinking more or they're having problems like adjusting to change and just adjusting to life, then those are things to look out for. Also, if they start giving away things that they care about, their prized possessions, they're making a will, they're making other final arrangements and they're just giving things away, their big screen TV that they love so much or Or it could be something small, something that means a lot to them. It could be a piece of jewelry that they wear all the time that they say they'll never take off or you never see them take it off. And suddenly they're giving it away. Pay attention to that. You want to look out, too, for changes in their eating habits. If they've lost a lot of weight or they've gained a lot of weight in a short amount of time, pay attention to that as well. Another thing that you want to pay attention to is if they've been feeling sad, they've been down, they've been angry and they've been having all these other emotions that were strange to you. And all of a sudden now they're in a good mood. Their spirits have lifted. You want to pay attention to that, especially if they've had any of these other warning signs. And then all of a sudden they're happy and they're feeling better. That might mean that they're at peace. They've made peace with their decision to end their life. So you want to pay attention to that. Any behavior change, any personality changes, take note of it. You know, oftentimes when people die by suicide, people say, oh, they're selfish. They just want to take the easy way out. But what people have to understand is that when people die by suicide, it's not because they want to end their life. It's often because they want to just end the suffering. They want to end the pain that they feel. They're suffering so deep inside that they feel helpless. They feel hopeless. So that's what they're trying to end. You know, I want to talk about this myth because I mentioned it earlier, but talking about suicide or asking somebody if they're suicidal, that's not going to lead them to do it. That's not going to encourage suicide. There is this stigma associated with suicide. Many people are afraid to talk about it. But when you do talk about it, it reduces the stigma. It gives the person a chance to seek out help. It helps them to think about their options a different way. And they can start to share their story with other people. They can share their thoughts. 
And the more they talk about it and the more we talk about it, it opens up the lines of communication and it opens up and gives you an opportunity to encourage that person to live, encourage them to talk about their feelings. Their fears can go away. They can get support. Asking somebody whether or not they're thinking about ending their life, it can get the conversation started. Talking about suicide can help to reduce the stigma. And that is what can help a person to get help. You know, when I was young and I was a teenager, I used to write letters to myself, letters to my future self. So I would write, you know, it would be like my goals because I was always thinking about the future when I was a kid, thinking about the future, what I would become, who I would be, what is my life going to be like? You know, am I going to accomplish all the goals and the dreams that I have now as a teenager? You know, um, what I want to be when I grow up and stuff like that. So I would write myself letters and I would put like, you know, where I am now in life as a teenager versus where I would want to be. And I would seal the note up and then I would write on it. Don't open until 1997. Don't open until 2000. And I didn't open them. I put them in my little box that I where I keep all of my high school pictures and awards and all my stuff. And I just threw it in there. And then over the years, I think it was like five years ago or so, I opened a letter that I wrote to myself in 1997. And I think about that now. If someone was to give me a letter and they told me, don't open this until this specified time. I don't think that that's a promise that I could keep knowing what I know about suicide. That is not a promise that anyone should keep. You know, we see it in movies, too. Somebody will leave a note behind and they'll make a promise like promise me that you won't open this until this time. Promise me you won't read this until X, Y, Z. And keeping a promise like that, a promise to keep a note unopened and unread is not a promise that should be kept because there's a potential for harm. There is a potential for actual harm because somebody may have written in there a suicide note. It may be a goodbye note. Sometimes we can't maintain confidentiality. There are just certain promises that we can't keep because the note is sealed for a reason. And if someone is giving you a sealed note and they're telling you don't open it until a certain time, then that could be a sign that something is wrong. Something else that's important to know is that if a person attempts suicide and they survive, that doesn't mean that they're never going to attempt suicide again. In fact, that is an indicator that they will attempt suicide again and the danger increases with each suicide attempt. I'm going to read another statement for you guys and let me know, is this a myth or a fact? Once a person is intent on suicide, there is no way of stopping them. Is that a myth or a fact? That is a myth. Because suicide can be prevented. There is hope. There is help. There are people that come into people's lives all the time. And you don't even know what your purpose is for coming into their life. You don't know what they've been going through. But without even knowing it, you've helped them to see a better future. You've helped them to start building a new future. And you encourage them to talk about what they're going through. That can disrupt someone's thoughts about suicide. It can disrupt their attempt to die by suicide. Every day, people abandon their plans to kill themselves. Every day, there is hope. There is help. People can be stopped from killing themselves. You know, something else that's important to know is that we hear it all the time. People will say, oh, she's always talking about she going to kill herself. She just wants attention. Oh, he always trying to say he going to kill himself when he don't get his way. And you think that people are threatening suicide because they're seeking attention. And we have to stop saying that. We have to stop thinking like that in the black community. Every single threat 
every attempt. It has to be treated as serious because, okay, maybe they're trying to get attention. Maybe let's say hypothetically that is the case. That doesn't mean that they're not going to die by suicide because when you tell somebody they ain't going to do nothing, you ain't going to do nothing. Go sit down somewhere. Stop saying that. They will do it just to prove to you that you were wrong and that they weren't bluffing. They did what they said they were going to do. So please don't dismiss a person. Don't dismiss someone saying that they're going to kill themselves. Don't dismiss it as them just trying to get attention because it's likely that they are trying to get attention. So the question should be, why? When people come off like they need attention, then yes, that's what it is. Attention is needed. Our alarm should be going off and we should give them that attention. Give them that attention because that attention could save their lives. And that attention could be in the form of you recommending a therapist to them, you talking to them and just asking, hey, how you doing? Is everything all right? How's everything going with you? Don't dismiss them. Give them that attention. Your attention could save their life. You know, a lot of people ask the question, is suicide hereditary? Is it in our genes? Because you might see in certain families that there is a long history of suicide, of people in the family dying by suicide. You know, in the black community, we might say it's a generational curse. But the thing is, suicide is not genetically inherited. Family members just have the same way sometimes of dealing with their emotions. They live in the same emotional environment. They may have not learned the skills or the coping mechanisms. And the thing is, when a family member dies by suicide, then that raises awareness for the rest of the family and they see suicide as an option as well. But then also you want to keep in mind that there are certain mental health conditions that run in families like bipolar disorder or depression, anxiety. And those mental health issues go untreated in the black community, which can increase the risk of suicide. Suicide risk also increases for black people if they're under the age of 35, if they're using drugs, especially if they're using cocaine. If there is a gun in the home, if they have a history of being violent towards other people or violently threatening other people, also depression, trauma, having a parent who died by suicide, that also increases the risk. You know, in the black community, we experience a lot of psychological distress, especially right now during this pandemic. Black people are dying at higher rates from COVID-19. And because of all the different restrictions that are happening right now, we can't go to funerals. You can't have gatherings. So people are grieving alone. We're isolated. And then on top of that, just in our regular everyday lives, we're exposed to high levels of violence. We're exposed to not having adequate health care, adequate housing, adequate education. You know, it's just a lot of different things that we're exposed to that lead to our psychological distress, especially too. you know, in our families. There's a lot of family dysfunction. There's conflict. There's negative interactions sometimes that we have with family members. Our divorce rate is high. We have a lot of people who are widowed and we're exposed to a lot of racial inequality. All of this affects our mental health and we develop ways to cope that are unhealthy. And then what happens is people who are already at risk of suicide, something will trigger them. Something might cause them to feel shame. Something makes them feel hopeless. They don't see a future like relationship problems, a breakup, problems at work. They're having financial problems. They're having legal problems. Their health is getting bad. Those are all triggers. And all of those things can increase the risk of suicide. But I don't want you guys to think that it's all doom and gloom, because just like there's risks of suicide, there's also things that protect us from suicide, like having a strong religious belief system. In the black community, people have strong religious belief systems and they participate in activities like going to church, going to a mosque, 
going to Kingdom Hall. They have a sense of community. And then also, too, as black people, we have a strong sense of ethnic pride, of black identity, of black pride that protects us. Having family support, having emotional support, social support. You have friends. You feel connected to people, family, community, social institutions, religious institutions. Those are the things that help protect us from suicide. Also having effective mental health care. Having a therapist, being able to talk to your primary care doctor, having a psychiatrist, taking medication if you need it. And, you know, having good problem solving skills, those are the things that can protect us from suicide. Like I mentioned earlier, when someone dies by suicide, it doesn't just affect the person that died. It affects so many people. There are so many people that care deeply about this person and they're all affected by it. And everyone experiences loss differently. Some people might have physical symptoms. They might start having headaches. Their appetite is changing. They can't eat. They can't sleep or they're sleeping too much or they're eating too much. It's common for people to feel shocked to feel like they can't believe that this is real. They feel numb and they just can't believe it. They're in disbelief. They might feel dazed and like, what is going on right now? And they feel overwhelmed and they might feel angry. They feel angry that their loved one has abandoned them, that they left them to feel this grief and this pain and this hurt. They feel like, how could you do this to me? These emotions can be confusing. It can be distressing. Especially, too, because you're conflicted. On one hand, you love this person so much, but then on the other hand, you're angry with them. But sometimes anger is needed. When people are going through the grief process, sometimes they have to feel angry first before they can start to accept the reality of what's happened. Sometimes people feel guilt and they start to blame themselves and they think, you know, it was my fault. If I would have did this, if only this, if what if that Guilt is very common after a suicide. A lot of people have unreconciled issues with the person who died. They regret things that they said. They may regret things that they didn't say to the person. But it's important to know that guilt comes from this place of this mistaken belief that we could have done something. We should have done something to prevent the death from happening. And even though there are ways for us to prevent suicide, can all deaths be prevented? No, they can't. But the thing is, we can't predict the future. We don't know all the reasons why somebody would take their life. We don't know the reasons for their actions. Sometimes it's easy and it's human nature. It's easier for us to blame ourselves when somebody dies rather than accept the fact that things are out of our control, that there was nothing we could have done. There are just so many emotions and so many things that family and friends of the deceased have to go through after a suicide. They are feeling sadness. They may feel loneliness helplessness, hopelessness. Sometimes people will consider suicide themselves. Why continue on? Why is life worth living? Why should I even try to keep going on? It's normal to feel frustrated, to feel bitter, or to feel self-pity, to feel hopeless. Those are all common when you're dealing with the loss of a loved one. But over time, those feelings will become less intense and gradually people will start to accept the loss and they're able to embrace the happy memories as well as the sad memories. I want you to know that it's normal to feel confused, to feel rejected after someone has died by suicide. Many people wonder and they start to think, why wasn't my relationship enough to keep them here, to keep them from dying by suicide? Some people go through denial and they'll say, you know, I feel fine. I'm okay." You know, the brain is just an interesting thing because sometimes people can consciously or unconsciously, they will not accept the fact that the person has died. Their brain can't process the reality of the tragedy. 
They can't process the emotions that they feel. But over time, the brain will start to analyze and will start to be able to process what's happened. And then the denial will start to go away. Eventually, people will start to heal. They'll start to accept what happened, not forget. They will never forget what happened, but they can accept it and they can get to a place where they miss the person. But at the same time, they still have to go on with their lives. I can miss them and continue to keep living. In order to heal, people will often have to come to a place of understanding that the tragedy that happened, it was something that couldn't have been prevented. And it's something that's not going to change. And acceptance just means that they're able to live again. They're able to open their heart, live again. And at the same time, they're still able to remember the person who passed away. You know, what makes suicide different is that people are left with trying to understand why. The why is what makes it so hard. People are left with so many questions. Sometimes they find answers to their questions. Sometimes they don't. And they have to learn how to accept the fact that some things they're just never going to know. Only God will know. You know, it's human nature for us to want to understand and for us to ascribe meaning to things. And that's what makes suicide so hard. There are some things that we will just never understand and we have to accept it. You know, I just want to say that mental health is about more than depression. It's about more than anxiety, more than PTSD, schizophrenia or a bipolar diagnosis. It's about our overall emotional and mental well-being. We deserve to live a healthy life. We deserve to be physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally healthy. You don't have to be afraid to talk about suicide. You don't have to be afraid to talk about mental illness. You don't have to be afraid to talk about getting treatment. Knowing the warning signs, knowing the myths, the facts, all of that, that can help us to look at suicide in a different way. When you start to gain all of this knowledge about mental health and about suicide, you can start looking at it with understanding and with compassion for the person who's struggling. We all struggle. We all get under pressure sometimes. Many of us have friends. We have family members or you who are listening right now. You might be struggling with mental health concerns or you're struggling with unhealthy thoughts and emotions. Even if you don't have a strong support system or you feel alone, there is hope. There is help and there are healthy ways to cope. Let me tell you how. You know what time it is. It's time to cope. It's time to pull out our coping toolboxes. I'm going to give us some tools to toss in there today to help us cope with suicide. Remember, we are going to be building this coping toolbox every time that we're together so that we can keep everything that we need that can help calm us during times of distress and help us to express how we feel in healthy ways. I just want to say that I know that the shock, the pain, the sadness and the grief can be overwhelming and it can be consuming after losing someone to suicide. It may feel like you're in this sunken place that you'll never get out of. But I want you to know that it's normal to feel this way. And as you go through the grief process, these feelings will change. It's also important to know that when people have experienced a loss by suicide and it's recent, It's not uncommon for them to start having thoughts of suicide themselves. It's common for people to start feeling like they wish they were dead or to feel like the pain is unbearable and they can't handle it or they don't want to be here. But that doesn't mean that they'll act on the suicidal thoughts. That doesn't mean that they're going to do it. Normally, the feelings and the thoughts will decrease over time. But if you find them too intense or you're starting to think about putting those thoughts into action, please, please get help. 
please seek support from a mental health professional. Go talk to a therapist. Talk to your doctor. Let them know what's going on. You know, you will never forget the loss that you've experienced. You'll never get over it, but you can get through it. A loss like this can change you, but you can survive it. Over time, you will heal. Losing someone to suicide can be devastating, and that's why it's important to seek support as you start your journey towards healing and acceptance. You don't have to go through this alone. Finding support can mean professional support. It can mean talking to your friend, talking to your family members. It's about getting help so that you can cope with the loss. If that means getting a therapist, do it. Try to identify some people in your life who are good listeners. Who can you turn to? Who can you talk to? Identify those people and reach out to them. It could be a friend, a family member, a mental health professional, a spiritual advisor, somebody from church. It might help to join a support group. Whatever support looks like for you, it's important that you reach out for help when you feel like you need it. And be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself, with other people. It's important to know that just like you're feeling so many different emotions, the people around you are going through the motions too. They're trying to sort out their feelings. So take the time that you need to heal. You might need to set boundaries with people. Sometimes people don't understand and they're trying to tell you how to feel and how to think. You might need to limit your contact with those people. And remember, it's okay to say no to things. If you feel overwhelmed, take a step back. Protect your peace. Do what you have to do to take care of yourself. Like I said, some people may not understand, but it's okay. Also, try not to make any big decisions or anything important until you feel ready, until you're able to respond in the way that's most helpful to you. Allow yourself to feel whatever you are feeling. Express yourself. Like I said, you can talk to people about how you feel. If you don't feel like talking, then you can journal and then that can help you let go of your thoughts. Just stay present in the moment. Try to learn mindfulness and relaxation techniques like deep breathing and that can help you stay present And that can help you to experience your emotions without getting overwhelmed and try not to isolate yourself. Go to social events, go to things that you're invited to. If you feel like it, try to do activities that bring you joy, that make you happy, do things that help you to relax and they can be used as a distraction. And remember, it's okay to laugh. You're grieving, but it's okay to laugh. It's okay to cry. Whatever you feel, allow yourself to feel it. You want to try to make a routine for yourself, establish a routine every day, like try to get up, try to get dressed, even if you don't feel like it. Make sure you try to eat something. Just try to plan out your day. Try to make some kind of structure in your day. And that can give you a sense of purpose and it can give you hope. You have to take care of yourself. Make sure that you're eating as well as you can. Exercise when you can. Try not to drink too much. Monitor your alcohol intake and try not to do any drugs. If you do, that's just going to make it harder for you to work through your feelings. So you have to take care of yourself. You know, when a friend or loved one dies by suicide, it can be hard to talk about the loss. It can be hard to tell people about what happened and you might not know what to say. You might feel like you want to hide the truth. You might feel like other people won't understand what you're feeling and what you're going through. And that can be a lonely, painful place to be in. When this happens, dealing with the suicide can feel like a painful secret and you don't want that to happen. So it's important to think about what you're comfortable talking about. What are some of the things that you're going to say if people ask you questions? Some things that you can say if you're not ready to talk is you can say, I can't talk about this right now. It's too painful. If you're ready to tell people about the loss, but you don't want to tell them all the details, you can say they died by suicide. 
but it's too hard for me to talk about what happened at this time. If you don't want to say anything, then that's your decision. When and how you talk to other people about the suicide is your decision. No one can tell you anything different. It's also important to know that after a suicide, people don't know what to say sometimes. They don't know how to interact with you. They don't know what to say to you. They're still trying to process everything for themselves. So they might not reach out to you as much. So what can be helpful is if you keep in touch. Keep in touch too. Let people know how they can help you, what you need from them, what's helpful. Reach out to your loved ones. Reach out to your friends, your spiritual leaders. Reach out to people so that you can get comfort. You can get understanding. You can get healing. Surround yourself with people who are willing to listen to you when you need to talk. And also surround yourself with people who you can be around when you don't want to talk, when you want to be silent and they just offer a shoulder for you to lean on. They'll wrap their arms around you and give you that hug and that embrace that you need. And just remember, grief is a process. There is no time limit. There's no right way to do it. If you find it too painful to visit the gravesite or to share the details of your loved one's death, then don't wait until you're ready. And it's the same thing with holidays and special occasions. If it's too painful for you to go through the holidays without your loved one, if you have family traditions that you normally do where you guys come together, you eat, you have parties, there's just different things that people do in certain families. If you feel too sad or you're too mournful, then don't go. Don't participate or you can change them for a while. You guys can do something else, maybe to honor or to remember the person who passed away. You can suspend these traditions for a while until you're ready to participate again. And it's OK. It's OK to do that. Don't rush yourself. Don't let anybody else rush you. Don't let anybody tell you it's been long enough. It's been too long. Take the time that you need. Some days are going to be harder than others and some days are going to be better and it can last like that for years and it's okay. There is no certain path to healing. Now, if you have a friend or if you have a coworker or you know someone who has had someone die by suicide and they're grieving, you might not know what to say to them. You might not know what will help. You might not know how to comfort them. You might be afraid that you're going to say the wrong thing or that you're going to do the wrong thing. But I'm telling you now, please don't let your fear of saying or doing the wrong thing keep you from reaching out to the person. They need support. You can let them know that you're concerned about them. Let them know that you want to help. You can ask to do like things around the house, wash their clothes for them, bring them some food. You can offer to clean their house or wash their dishes or if they want you to take the kids away from the house for a few hours so that they can have some time alone or let the kids spend the night at your house. Or you can just be there, be there to listen to them. They might want to tell you something or they might just want to express something. Just listen. Stay close to them. Oftentimes after a suicide, families feel shame. They feel stigmatized. They feel cut off from everybody else. So you want to stay close to them. When you avoid contacting them or being around them, sometimes families can feel like they're being blamed and then they feel isolated. So ignore those fears and those doubts that you have and contact them. Stay close to them. You might say something awkward. You might be tripping over your words, but it's OK. Family members and friends, they will forgive that behavior just as long as your support and your compassion is there. That's all they need. But try not to say to them, you know, things like, Everything is okay. It's okay. Because they might lash out at you and say, it's not okay. How can you say that it's okay? What do you mean it's okay? And even though you're trying to be comforting, try not to say things will get better. Because they might say to you, how do you know? 
What do you mean things are going to get better? Oh, this has happened to you before. So try to stay away from saying that to them. Just comfort them. Give them like hugs and touch them and listen. And definitely don't say at least they're not suffering anymore. At least they're in a better place. Please don't say that to them. That is not helpful when people are grieving. Also, too, you want to be mindful and make sure that you're not asking them for an explanation. Don't grill them because they can often feel like, okay, this is too many questions. You're digging too deep. You know, sometimes people are just trying to find understanding. But when they do that, they start to ask too many questions at one time. And that can make the person feel overwhelmed. Like if you're asking, was there a note? Did they say anything before they did it? Did you suspect anything? Um, Have you talked to their friends? Have you done this? Have you done that? And the person might be looking for answers to give you. But they might not have the answers that you're looking for, and it can make them really angry. So you just want to be supportive and listen to what they have to say about the person. Listen to what they have to say about the death without asking questions. Listen to what they have to say about how they feel. And just remember that the suicide is not the most important thing about the person who died. That person had some great memories when they were alive. And it's okay for you to share those memories, share those stories, make sure you use the person's name. You know, I remember when Michael taught my son how to drive. Do you remember that? It's okay to say to them, you know, I can't imagine how you're feeling right now. I can't imagine what this is like. You can say that and you can follow their lead, though, when it comes down to talking about it. Ask them. Would you like to talk about what happened? And even if they say no, even if they don't want to talk about it, they will still appreciate the fact that you asked. You can be direct and just ask them, what can I do to help? And they might just want you to pray with them. They might want to just sit quietly with you. Ask them what you can do. If you know anyone who discloses to you that they're thinking about dying, it can be an adult. It can be a kid. Whoever, if they tell you that they're thinking about dying, ask them some more questions. What kind of ideas have they been having? Have they been thinking about how they might die? What is the plan? And if you find out that they do have a plan, it's time to get help. It's time to get professional help immediately. You can take them to the emergency room. You can call your local department of mental health and they can send a team out that can evaluate them, that can take them to a psychiatric facility if need be so that they can get evaluated by another mental health professional and get the help that they need. You can call the police department and you can let them know this is a mental health call. This is a call about suicide so that they can send a special team, a mental health team out to your house so that they can take them to get some help. But also keep in mind, just because someone tells you that they're thinking about suicide or they're thinking about dying, that doesn't mean that they're going to kill themselves. That doesn't mean that they're going to do it. So you want to listen to them. If they tell you, I've been having these thoughts about dying. I've been having these dreams about dying. I've been thinking about ways that I might die, but I'm not going to do it. I love myself. I love my life. I would never kill myself. They might tell you that. And it's like, okay, well, what can we do about these thoughts? That doesn't mean they need to go to a hospital. And you can always ask them the question. Do you think that you need to go to a hospital tonight? Do you think I need to call somebody? Sometimes people will say, yes, I need help. Yeah, I think I do. Sometimes they'll say no. And sometimes you got to go with your gut, no matter what they say. You might feel something in your gut and you just need to do what you feel is best. If it's a kid that's telling you that they're having these thoughts, dig deeper. Are they being bullied? Is somebody messing with you at school? Is somebody messing with you in the neighborhood? Is it your brother and your sisters? Are they doing something to you? Find out. Dig deeper. Did somebody touch you? Have they been sexually abused? 
Have they been physically abused? What's going on? Talk to me. Tell me what's happening. Are they worried about their grades? Have they been acting up at school and they're scared that the teacher is going to call you? Let them know that it's okay. Whatever it is, talk to mommy, talk to daddy, talk to grandma, talk to me, talk to me. Tell me what's going on. You have to stay up in their business because kids are unpredictable, especially when they're already vulnerable and they don't know how to problem solve. They will make irrational decisions and they will take their lives. If you're worried about somebody in your life and you're concerned that they might be suicidal, you can encourage them to talk to you. Encourage them to get help and talk to a therapist. You can ask them directly. Just come straight out and ask them, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about making a suicide attempt? Ask them, do you have a plan? What have you been thinking about? And if they tell you their plan, think about the plan. How dangerous is it? Do they have access to a gun, to a knife, to the things that they're saying that they're going to use? And don't trivialize it. Don't blow their plan off and say, oh, that's never going to happen. That's not realistic. Oh, that's not that dangerous. That's not something that they'll really do. I want you to remember that all suicide intentions are serious. If they're thinking about it, if they're planning something, if they're talking about it, it's serious. And we got to treat it like it's serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, I want you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The phone number is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. You can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's available to anyone and the calls are confidential. You can also text them. You can send a text to 741-741 and text the word HOME, H-O-M-E. There's also this app that you can download on your phone. It's called The Safe Place. It is a free mental health app for black people. It's called The Safe Place. Download that app and put it on your phone. You can get self-care tips, mental health tips, all kinds of things. You can also go to the National Organization for People of Color Against Suicide. You can go to their website. Their website is nopcas.org, nopcas.org. The organization is called the National Organization for People of Color Against Suicide, and they have free online support groups. If you find yourself thinking about how to kill yourself, if you're going on the Internet and you're looking up what are the easiest ways to kill yourself, what are the most painless ways to die by suicide? I want you to please get help. Talk to somebody about how you're feeling. When people kill themselves, they kill everybody else around them who loves them. Find a source of strength. Lean on spirituality. Lean on the people who care about you. Go to therapy. Get help. Life can be hard. Circumstances come along and they can just shake us. It can take a lot of courage to live and to keep going. Sometimes it takes more courage to live than it does to die. I want you to remember, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Life changes. Things change. Your circumstances can change. What you're going through right now is temporary. You have the power to choose to live. You have the power to give yourself the opportunity to see what's on the other side of this, to see how you come out of this. You have the power to say, This is not how my story is going to end. Please go get help. I'm begging you to choose life. I promise you it gets better. And on that note, that's all the tools that I got. 
go ahead and put those coping toolboxes away, y'all. It's time for one of my favorite parts of the show, movie therapy, music therapy. I would like to dedicate today's episode to the song called For You I Will by Monica. And the song says, When you're feeling lost in the night, when you feel your world just ain't right, Call on me, I will be waiting. Count on me, I will be there. Anytime the times get too tough, anytime your best ain't enough, I'll be the one to make it better. I'll be there to protect you, see you through. I'll be there when there is nothing I won't do. I will cross the ocean for you. I will go and bring you the moon. I will be your hero, your strength. Anything you need. I will be the sun in your sky. I will let you wait for all time, promise you, for you I will. I believe that, I receive that, and I mean that. It's coping season, y'all. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. You are not only listeners, you are my co-hosts. And we are a community. And I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your stories, experiences, and thoughts related to life issues, topics you'd like to hear discussed, or questions you'd like answered. Please visit me on the web at drtinaweb.com and click on Ask Dr. Tina to submit your questions, thoughts, and more. Tune in every Wednesday to hear my response. You can also check out the show notes as well as other contact information on the website. In the meantime and in between time, for additional updates, conversations, and more ways to interact, please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dr. Tina Webb. That's D-R-T-I-N-A-W-E-B-B. Feel free to share your thoughts from the show on social media using the hashtag coping season podcast. Lastly, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you are listening to help others find the show and learn to cope just like you. I appreciate and read every single review. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for spreading the word to all of your friends family, and co-workers. I so appreciate it. Thank you, and I'll see you next week.